I'm, I'm going to start with a few that should be easy for you. So I'm going to ask for your help. If you are at home, it might be a little bit delayed, but I still want you to maybe toss them in the chat if you can. Abbreviations. If there's a person present that does not have a cell phone, um, raise your hand. Yeah, I didn't think so. See, there was a time where we, did, we didn't have cell phones, but now everybody has a cell phone, and the way we communicate is a little bit different. We communicate now quickly because a sentence is just too long to say the thing. Sometimes I don't feel like a whole sentence. Sometimes we abbreviate, and so I want your help to let me know if you know what these abbreviations stand for. Let's start with an easy one. LOL. There we go. There we go. Laugh out loud. Oh, that's an acronym we heard from one. one we got a, uh, somebody that's a little bit more uh, focused on my vernacular today. Thank you, brother. <laughs> so, 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 LOL. Uh, what, about, what about ASAP? Soon as possible. Okay, okay. SMH. Okay, okay. What about MACC? All right, MacGav Community Church, come on now, okay, okay. BTW, by the way, SFLR. Sorry for late reply. Yeah, I was in that one pretty often. I thought I sent you a text. Um, YMMD. You made my day. And how about this one? F-R-E. What's it stand for? So they're they guessing, y'all. So, <laughs> so Frey, we got, we got two of them. It said fellowship is the F. Rest is the R, and evangelism is the E. The, a, a phrase that is unique to Mac alone, and we call it fray. Fray is the marking or the switching of a season for our church. Our church is in a rhythm each year. We are in a rhythm where we are in fellowship groups that meet bi-weekly. We are in a prayer, uh, a prayer time that meets monthly. We are in a cultural conversation that meets monthly. We have men's and women's ministries going on. We are out caring and serving for the neighborhood. We are uh, having outreaches and doing a number of things and our church goes hard for nine months. But then in the summertime, we wanna pause for a second and take a little bit of a shift. The entire community takes a shift. When summertime comes, people adjust their schedules. Now they bring in vacations. They bring in visiting people. They bring in connecting in different ways. And so our church actually wants to adjust. But we don't adjust just to take a break from Christianity. You're not uh, on a teacher's schedule. Your, your Christianity don't get to be on hold for three months. But what we do 
is actually say, okay, let's switch from our normal rhythm of conduct within church life and actually focus a little bit more on three things. Three things that we believe help you grow as a believer, help us to flourish as Christians. Three things that we think will contribute towards a great summer. And that's fellowship, rest, and evangelism. What is fellowship? Let me just knock out these three so you can be equipped to live them out this summer and be able to walk it out as a family. What is fellowship? Fellowship might be most easily connected to the idea of the clique you hung with in high school. Maybe the clique you hung with in college, maybe the, the crew you ran with in the, in the Navy or in the service or in the Army, what was that group that you remember where you guys were just together all the time, eating together and, and laughing together and making jokes together and doing life together? That is kind of the concept you get when you think of fellowship. It's connected to an Old Testament term and New Testament term. Old Testament term is Havar, and it was connected with Pharisees, and Pharisees were the religious people, and they would study the scriptures together. They would study the law together, and they would break bread at the table together. And so fellowship had this this understanding of, of oneness, of unity, of a bond, of a crew together, focused on one purpose. But see, they were missing the mark. And after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit births a flame within the hearts of people and births the church, and we get a new term connected to that bond, that unity, that oneness, and that new term became koinonia. Koinonia, which means fellowship. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. And if you have the black Bibles, it would be on page 952. If you have the white Bible, gee, shout it out to me. What page is that? 618. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. And keep your Bibles out because we're going to be flipping through a number of different verses today to help us understand what it looks like to have fellowship, rest, and evangelism. Verse 9 is to the point. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. First off, God is. First two words, God is. He is. He always has been and always will be. God is our creator, our sustainer, our provider, our protector. There is a list that can go on and on and on to describe the beauty of this God. But first it starts with he is. He is faithful faithful. I like that uh, this guy named R.W. Lyon that wrote a commentary says, if you understand the consequences of faith, you will see that they are staggering. It is by faith 
that believers are justified, by faith that we are reconciled, by faith we are redeemed, made alive, adopted into the family of God, recreated, transformed into a new kingdom, and by faith we are set free. But that's looking at the effects of faith. We also understand that this God that we love is faithful. And so your trust, your rest, your hope, your ability to even understand what fellowship is flows from an understanding of faith, a faithful God. Look at some of the faithful things this God says that he will bring to pass. You can keep your your finger there. I'm going to shout these out to you and you can go back and check them when you have time. Philippians Chapter 1, verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 through 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So now you're getting elements and glimpses into his faithfulness. And lastly, of of many promises, but I'll, I'll leave it at three. And those whom he predestined in Romans 8, verse 30. Those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. He's faithful to do it. You see, fellowship, if we're to understand it, it must first start with our walk with God. Fellowship always starts with an understanding of God's faithfulness to us and us responding with a faithful heart back to God. Fellowship always starts with understanding our connection to the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Because you see, it's always that, that bond, that connection. I mean, I know you have some people in your life that if I said, hey, let me ask them about some stories from your past. They got some stories. They, they know some stuff. Why? Because of the connection, because of the bond, because of the closeness. And so while fellowship is, is founded first in a faithful relationship with God, it's also extended to a faithful relationship with one another. And so when you think of what fellowship looks like, you've got to see it as a both and. I get to be in tune with, connected with, commune with, share in the beautiful life that God has given me. I get to delight in God and then get a chance to delight in his created beings, my sisters and brothers. So that's fellowship. I like that uh, Pastor Bob Gilliam says, get the idea of, of, of two soldiers walking together and each is maybe a little wounded in a different way and they're each serving each other and carrying each other. I like to also think of it because my wife says I use a lot of illustrations that are a bit violent or gory, so maybe I shouldn't use the soldier one. How about this? How about consider fellowship like a tennis match? And two people are just serving each other love back and forth. Is that a little bit better, y'all? 
Trying to make you proud, boo. <laughs> this is the idea you get of, of fellowship. It is an, an intimate connection, a close connection, a bond that is real. I was uh, blessed over this past, man, Ken, what would it be, a year and a half that we met as the men's group, Drew, Andrew, I'm sorry, I don't even know, you gonna, I don't even know if you like Drew, oh, my bad. Um, I'm just, I'm, see, I'm getting, we so intimate, you know what I'm saying? But the, but the brothers was getting up in the mornings, praying together, going through a couple books together. And there is a true bond that is forged out of that that is not just from us reading. It's also been from us praying for one another, from us laughing together. I've shed tears for some of the situations these brothers have gone through. Fellowship is real. And God gives us the opportunity to enter into that. And so this summer, as we're saying, hey, we may not structure that time in fellowship groups as a, as a church. We may not say every other Tuesday meet. Still see opportunities in this room, on the chat, within MacAv Life to say, no, I need to bond. I need to be closer. I need to be intimately connected first to God and then to my sisters and my brothers. Consider one or two families that you're saying, this summer, I'm going to go a little bit deeper. I'm going to get a little bit more connected. I'm going to have an actual relationship with you that's beyond just when our paths happen to cross. What would it look like if you took one or two people and went deeper? And those people can be within Mac, but it might be, it might be families on your block. Let's continue on. That's the, the idea of fellowship. But let me ask you a couple questions. When you think of the person that preaches the best, who comes to mind? Stop, stop, y'all, stop, stop. Okay, let's, let, me ask, let me ask another question. Let me ask, <laughs> let me ask another question. How about the person that, that works out the most and is healthy? Who's the image that comes to mind? When you think of, of the person that, that displays just like, kindness, who comes to mind? Now let me ask this question. When you think of the person that models rest, who comes to mind? Rest. You see, it is a virtue that comes from God himself. We saw that on the seventh day he rested. But it's interesting that there are so many characteristics that we ascribe to Christian character. And when you think of a, a person that stands out, usually you don't say that person rests really well. Usually you don't have, it took me a minute to try to think of who is a person that really models just like rest well. It's a value that is extremely important, a value that, that is extremely healthy for us, but one that doesn't get lifted up in the way that it, that it ought, and it brings forth spiritual recharge, brings forth a, 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 a spiritual health. It is something that Jesus himself modeled for us. All right, now you can flip over to, to Mark. We're going to be in the first chapter of Mark, and we're looking at just a a verse. And Mark in our, in our black Bible would be page 
8.36, and we're just looking at verse 35. It's the whole section here, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. And I I like you flipping, because when you leave here, I want you to be able to like, you know, I want to go back and read that whole thing. I want you to know where it's located. Mark chapter 1. Verse 35, we, we, we know that Jesus modeled resting. Like one of the images that we have whenever we think of temptation is, is Satan trying to tempt Jesus with, with some food and water and some power after Jesus got away and pursued God during a 40-day fast and was resting. Resting doesn't mean just being lazy. It doesn't mean just vacation. It doesn't mean kicking your feet up. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says it. says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Rest. Sometimes we, we think of it as our body just being able to chill that can be a part of it. You should have times where you can relax, where you can you cannot have to be actively doing something, but you can still engage in spiritual health. You can still engage in something like prayer. The sister Vanitha Rendell Reznor says, Jesus never seemed hurry, hurried, though he was inundated by people with urgent needs. Much of the time he was surrounded by crowds with barely enough time to catch his breath. Events happened quickly, tumbling one after another. He went from preaching in a synagogue to casting out a demon to healing a sick friend to ministering to the whole city that gathered at his door at sundown. And this was just on one day. And how did he respond? He gets away from everybody and goes and spends time with God. See, resting is very active, but it doesn't mean that you engage in your normal activities. So you may put some stuff on hold. You may say no to people, and that's why we rarely sometimes get to know a person that rests because we sometimes struggle with saying yes too often and sometimes need to say no. I'm going to spend time with God. No. I'm going to meditate on his word. No, he got some faithful promises that he said that I just want to sink in my heart. No, I'm going to spend some time in fellowship with this this God. And so we rest. We rest because Jesus modeled it. We rest because it replenishes us. We rest because it is good for our soul. If you flip five chapters over in the book of Mark, John, in the sixth chapter, it says, uh, after John's bap- John the Baptist's death, Jesus said to the disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. After a tough season, after grief, he says, come away to a desolate place. That means he, they could have just paused and praised right there in the midst of everyone. No. Step away. 
They had no leisure. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. And so I want to just encourage you in, in three ways that you get that rest. Physical, mental, and spiritual. Spiritual, we've talked about. We've talked about how Jesus modeled getting away, and even though he had boundaries and said, no, not at this moment, I'm, I'm actually going to retreat to a space. I'm going to pray and spend time with God. That's, that's how we spiritually rest. Christians don't get to just be off from God. Because you wouldn't want that, right? That's not our idea of rest. Our idea of rest isn't to just be able to do whatever we want and nobody bother us. Our idea of rest is to have our soul renewed. And it gets renewed as we are with Christ. And so I encourage you spiritually to dream. Maybe you spiritually create artwork. Away not on your regular hustle and bustle. Maybe you spiritually write poetry. Maybe you spiritually crochet. Maybe you spiritually pray. Maybe you spiritually journal. I don't know what it is, but create space for it. Rest spiritually. Rest physically. Actually, get away. Tell some folks no. Take a little bit of a different cadence. I'm standing up here, and I feel like none of y'all is here, and it's just a mirror. Because saying no is very tough for me, not because of anyone else. Primarily because I enjoy saying yes. I enjoy being engaged. I enjoy helping out. I enjoy you having something heavy, us carrying it together. I enjoy the we But the reality of rest is that there is an aspect of you as an individual, of me as an individual, that sometimes needs to be elevated over the we. Because if we keep, if I keep going and going and going, I'm no good to the we because I'm operating out of an emptiness. My my, my baby, 16 months, and... uh, we can, we can tell when she has not had a nap. We know, as mom, we know. We can tell when, when she's hungry or when she has not had rest. It begins to, to surface. We know, uh-oh, uh-oh. It's coming. And sadly, some of us have not truly had a good spiritual nap in months. We've not chosen to rest in Christ in months. We may have taken a vacation. We may have, you know, kicked it a little bit. We may have laughed with friends. But have you been replenished? And it's starting to show. And and others are affected. Family is affected. We are affected. And so for you that may be like me, that say yes often, help me help you. And we need to say no sometimes. If we really care about the, the health of all of us, then each individual being wise enough to be replenished in God-centered rest will allow our church, our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, all of that. Robin, you got that for me? Or Ken, actually, you got that for me? Um, 
We, 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 we flourish together when we all are thriving in Christ and rest allows us to do so. Physical rest, spiritual rest, lastly, mental rest. In, in setting up those spaces and setting up those opportunities for you to be able to, to set some boundaries and say no to some things, it's okay to check out. Let your mind not be consumed so that even though you're not physically present, mentally you're there. Going back to my kid the other day, because it was, it was so interesting that, that I, ha- I took my daughter on a walk and we went to a swing set. Got to the swing set. I'm seeing her beautiful smile. And do you know I had to fight internally with not engaging with my phone? Oh, man, I'm supposed to text whatchamacallit. Oh, man, let me take a picture. Oh, man, let me do. It was like 15 things that were seeking to take my mental ability away from being in the moment. You see, Rest helps you build up boundaries and strength to say no so that you can fully be in the moment. It's a muscle we've got to build, but this summer, work on the muscles, family. Let's do it together. So there's fellowship, rest. Lastly, there's evangelism. Let me ask, when the last time y'all had a pedicure? Turn to Romans chapter 10 with me. You're going to be like, Pastor, what is you talking about? Romans chapter 10. And Romans is found in the Black Bible on page, excuse me, uh, page 946. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15 and G in the white Bible. Dang, I just realized we say black and white Bible. <laughs> 614, uh, the white Bible. Say it again, amen. I know, right? It's just, <laughs> it's not for black or white people if you're home. It's, it's, it's actually, whoa, almost lost it. It's actually the colors of the Bible themselves. Or you know what? what? Actually, that's blue. I'm going to say blue. There we go. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Or how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Family, our, 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 don't worry, I'm not going to have you pull your feet out. Our our, our, our joy, our love, our passion, our excitement is when, a, is when a person gets a chance to understand the beauty of the gospel. They get a chance to understand that God is real. They get a chance to understand that this God loves them and loves them deeply. We get a chance to share the story that has changed our lives with others. 
We get a chance to be a vessel to be used by God and how beautiful you look when you are radiating that Christ-like character. If fellowship allows us to, to connect with God and with each other being one, evangelism allows us to connect so that we will all be one. It allows us to reach out to the lost and the lost become found. But, but sometimes we think evangelism is just for them. That evangelism is just for the lost. I can't find a Bible verse that says when you evangelize, you are now responsible for that person's safe salvation. See, evangelism is your faithfulness and your obedience to speak of God. And you and I know what it's like to be in that situation of evangelism, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about standing on the corner with a microphone, breaking down the gospel to everybody that walks by. That, that would be beautiful, and I'm excited for people who, who, are, who get excited about that and who have that, that gift. I'm talking about the connector. You know how you're in a conversation, talking with somebody, and then the Lord just gives you this little connector that would bridge the conversation from what y'all are talking about with the kids or with work or with politics or with gardening or with fixing your car or with the shoes that you just bought. Whatever that is, God gives you this little connector. And you had that moment to say, I'm going to be obedient or I'm not. See, that's, that's evangelism. Sometimes we set the bar so high that, oh, man, I don't go on the corner and talk. No, sometimes it's, come here, let me just pray with you. Sometimes it's, I, I love you enough to say, the way you're talking about your spouse is unhealthy. God wouldn't want you to talk like that. We're not talking about having six verses lined up, though that would be great. We're not talking about you having a whole sermon. We're just talking about God giving you the connector. And he does that again and again and again. But the beauty of evangelism is that it's also for us. Philemon verse 6 says this. It says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Let me say that again. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. What's that saying? It's saying, look, when you share your faith, it grows you in godliness. When you take that risk for Christ, you begin to look more like Jesus. You, you, you've been at work before, and you do your job, and you do your job faithfully. But when they say, hey, you're going to lead the training, uh-oh, everything shifts. Not only when you got to do something, but when you got to teach other people something, you gain a whole new understanding of that thing, don't you? When you start talking to people about Jesus, when it's a part of what you say, when, when connectors allow people to understand that God loves them, 
It grows you. It grows us. We begin to look more like Christ. And so don't just see evangelism as a, a tool for the lost. It is, but it's also a tool to grow us and sanctify us that we might look more like him. It's a different schedule this summer. It's a different rhythm. But the rhythm isn't one of just being on vacation and we chilling. No, it's a different intentionality. Not one where we hope to, you feel overwhelmed. Oh, pastor, you want me to run out and evangelize the 20 people today and then I got to go take a nap, a spiritual nap, and then you want me to fellowship with everybody in the church? No. <laughs> don't, don't miss the point. The point is, these are Christ-centered tools to grow you in him, and we get the opportunity to be intentional. This summer, we removed some things off of your schedule as a rhythm of this church so that you can flourish in some of these areas. I'm thankful for, for Acts chapter 8. And when you get time, you can, you can go there, but, but it's, it, it gives us a number of, of different evangelistic experiences. One takes place with, and Colette, was that my daughter up there crying? Nope, cool. One takes place with a, a magician in the city that's been leading people astray. And, and as Philip preaches the gospel, this magician comes to faith. Why do I give that example? Because you never know who's listening as you share the gospel. You never know who will be impacted. I'm so excited on, on the last day when we get a chance to meet God and he says, oh yeah, don't forget when you were sharing your faith to this person, oh, this person was listening. Or you was talking to this person on the phone and they had on speakerphone, their cousin was the one who actually accepted Christ. You thought it was a failure. They cousin loving the Lord now. See, you, we, we don't know the ripple effect that the gospel gets to have on people. It's going to be exciting to see what the Lord does and how he, how he uses his word to, 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 to proclaim his name. But also, continuing in Acts chapter 8, there's another experience that happens with Philip. The Lord tells him to, to go rise and go towards the south in verse 26. And, and, and there's this Ethiopian eunuch, this, this man that he finds that had come to worship. And this man is reading the word and needs some help. He needs some understanding. He needs some guidance. This man is saying, hey, how can I understand this? He's searching. So you get one person that's deeply in another religion in another cult that comes out of magic and starts loving the Lord. You get another person that's searching and he just walks right up and gets an opportunity to explain the gospel. See how different those evangelistic experiences are? You find that all in one chapter, in the chapter 8 of Acts. Why? Because we need to know that evangelism looks different. Maybe the way you will share the gospel might be very different than me. Maybe the way that you display the gospel in the lives of people might be different than me. That's okay. We can still walk with each other, encourage each other, and carry each other. Because we all have challenges with sharing the beauty of the good news. 
Brother John Wesley says, I want the whole of Christ for my Savior, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. I love that. I want to end you or leave you with with this this story that I believe captures a, a, a good glimpse of what fellowship looks like. This was taken from a brother named Don Graham. He said, in the fall of the year, a sister named Linda, a young woman, was traveling alone up a rugged highway from Alberta to Yukon. Linda didn't know that you don't travel on the on white horse alone in a rundown Honda Civic. So she shut up. She, so she set off where only four-wheel drive cars normally venture. The first evening, she found a a room in the mountains near a summit and asked for a 5 a.m. wake-up call so she could get out early. She couldn't understand why the clerk looked at her surprised at her request. But as she woke up early, the morning fog shrouded the mountaintops and she understood why they looked at her that way. Not wanting to look foolish, she got up, went to breakfast, and two truckers invited Linda to join them. Since she was the small person, uh, she felt obligated Where are you headed, one of the truckers asked her. White horse. In that little Civic? No way. This pass is dangerous in weather like this. Well, I'm determined to try, was Linda's attitude. If not, uh, uh, I just won't be able to make it. Then they said, then I guess we're just going to have to hug you. There's no way I'm about to let you hug me, is what she said. No, 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 not nothing like that. We'll put one truck in front of you and one truck in the rear of you. And that way, we'll get you through the mountains. We'll get you through the fog. All that foggy morning, Linda followed two red dots in front of her and had the reassurance of a big escort behind her as they made their way safely through the mountains. Caught in the fog of this dangerous passage through life, we need to have family. We need to be hugged. We need to be going through the mountains of life together with fellow Christians who know the way and can lead and care for us safely, who can allow fellowship to be our daily experience so that when challenging things come, we're not alone. Let's build those relationships this summer. Let's build those connections this summer. Let's trust God who will guide us and lead us to our focused destination, which is not simply when we get to heaven, but that we would look like him today. Let us pray. Father, it is in you that we celebrate. It is in you that we have our being. It is in you, Father, that we find our joy and our peace. Help us, Lord, to maximize the use of this summer that fellowship would be something on our hearts, that we would seek you more and seek our sisters and brothers more, that we would rest well, that I would model that to this church, Lord, empower me so I can do it. Father, that, that we would share our faith, that we would take those opportunities you give us and use them for your glory. 
It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you are a person that is saying, I, I'm understanding these concepts, Pastor. I understand the concept of fellowship now, of, of evangelism, of rest, but I don't know Jesus myself. Well, clearly our goal is not simply that you would do the things we outline. Our hope is that you would understand that Jesus loves you, and the only reason we outline those things is as a response to his love. You see, Jesus wants you to have a relationship with him. Why? Because we are people that were born into sin. You don't have to teach a child how to sin, how to lie, how to do wrong. It's innate within us, and at some point it surfaces. And Jesus says, I have died so that that unhealth, that sin that is present within you can be cared for can be removed, can be eliminated, can be separated as far as the east is from the west. I give my life because whenever there is wrong, there must be right. And to wrong the right of sin is, takes death. It takes a penalty. It takes a consequence. And Jesus says, I love you enough that you don't have to take the pain. I will right the wrong that you've committed I will show my love in giving of my life. And so to accept Jesus simply means that we acknowledge that Jesus died for our sins and that he wants us to live with him and for him. And so today, if you've accepted Christ into your heart, simply pray this prayer with me. Lord, I believe you are God. I believe you have died for my sins. I want to give my life over to you. Fill me with your spirit so I may live for you for all of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Family, if you've prayed that prayer, if that prayer has been your, your on your heart, if you're at home and you didn't even say the words, but you were speaking them in your heart, we want to say welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to God's body. Welcome to now being an adopted son, an adopted daughter, a co-heir with Christ.